All right, I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. If you're looking in the Pew Bible, you should find it on page 591. Page 591. We, uh, we had the news on in our living room one night this week while we were getting supper ready and I couldn't help but notice the barrage of uh, political ads on the TV. Uh, unless you've been living under a very large rock, I'm sure you have uh, been made aware that we, uh, even as early as March uh, and February, we are already in full swing election season. And I, I've seen in the past couple weeks more than one political scientist compare the levels of extreme partisanship in 2020 to the levels that were present uh, 160 years ago in 1860. Now, in case you need reminding, 1860 was right before the Civil War broke out. Uh, in fact, two political scientists did a study on what they call lethal mass partisanship. This is what they found. 20% of Democrats who were surveyed agreed that the country would be better off if a large number of Republicans, quote, just died. Now, lest you think the problem is one-sided, 15% of Republicans said the same thing, that the country would be better off if a large number of Democrats just died. I'm not a political scientist. I'm not a pundit or an historian. But I am uh, someone who spends his time dividing God's Word and talking and counseling with people, and what I have seen in my experience is backed up in that study, and that is that we have a famine of what the Bible calls gentleness or meekness. And this particular virtue has not only been neglected, but positively devalued both in the world and even among those who claim to follow Jesus. I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, I doubt there's any sincere follower of Christ who would say, I don't need to be patient. I don't need to be humble. I don't need to be content. We might inadvertently neglect those things. We might say, if we're being honest, I'm not all that humble or all that patient or all that content. But we certainly would say, I need to be those things. I need to be more humble. I need to be more patient. I need to be more content. Meekness, on the other hand, seems different. It seems to me that we have not only neglected it, but we have devalued it. We have an obsession with the appearance of strength and competence and prominence and prosperity, and we think that the only way we can be strong is if we weaken others. In a world with such conflict and such wickedness, who can afford to be meek? Who can afford to be gentle? I want to flip that question on its head this morning, and I want to show you here in God's Word that the question we should be asking is not, how can I afford to be meek, but how can I afford not to be meek? If, if I think that I can't afford to be meek in a world with such conflict and wickedness, then I have a very narrow and short-sighted view of the world. I want to show you that in Psalm 37. Let's read together. We're going to begin in verse 1. It says that this is a Psalm of David. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. 
dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Let's pause there and pray together. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that the quality of meekness or gentleness is most present in you. And uh, yet you have called us to imitate you. And so I pray that you would enable us by your spirit to do what you command us to do. And Lord, that none of us today would see meekness or gentleness as uh, a road for us to somehow earn a good standing with you. But Lord, that we would first and foremost put our trust in you, delight ourselves in you, and then as an overflow of that, that you would work meekness in us and help us to work it out in fear and trembling. God, we pray that you would impress this word upon us by your spirit. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we read, I, I, I pose the question, um, in a world with such conflict and wickedness, who can afford to be meek? I want you to see that Psalm 37, especially these first 11 verses, flips that question on its head. It begins with the heading, verse 1, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. And then it goes on to describe what it means instead to be meek, culminating in verse 11, the meek shall inherit the land. Now the point of the psalm is not only that failing to be meek is wrong, but that it is also foolish. If you've ever lived in a house with a toddler, you know what I mean by that. There are things that our kids do sometimes that are not just wrong, they are, pardon my French, stupid. <laughs> right? That's okay it's for us to admit. It's dumb, foolish, whatever you want to call it. And we, what, we, what we try to explain to them is, it's not just that you disobeyed me, but you did something that caused harm to yourself. That's what failing to be meek is. God is sort of taking us aside in Psalm 37. And he's saying, listen, if you fail to be meek, you're not just disobeying me, but you're doing harm to yourself. Because in the words of verse 9, the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Or in the words of verse 11, the meek shall inherit the land. Now, if you think, okay, verse 11 sounds familiar. I feel like I've heard that somewhere. It's because Jesus alluded to that verse in the Sermon on the Mount when He said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, the word meek is interchangeable with the word 
gentle. And I'm going to use those words interchangeably. So if I say meek or meekness, I mean gentle or gentleness and vice versa. One of the reasons gentleness or meekness is so undervalued is because it is so misunderstood. People associate meekness with being passive, with being a doormat that people step on. The problem is that's not what the Bible means when it talks about meekness or gentleness. For example, Numbers 12.3 says that Moses was very meek, more than all people who are on the face of the earth. Now, if, you, if you're familiar with some of the things Moses did, he's not always what we have, would have called a, a passive person who just kind of let things go. Sometimes Moses kind of pitched a fit every now and then. So Moses was certainly not weak or passive, and yet the Bible calls him meek more than anybody else in his generation. Jesus describes himself in Matthew 11 as gentle or meek and lowly in heart. I certainly don't think any of us would say Jesus was weak or passive. So however we conceive of meekness, we have to leave room for that. Meekness is not this kind of quiet personality type that some people have and others don't. Some people are just kind of naturally quiet and reserved. They just kind of sit back and watch and go with the flow. Other people are naturally more assertive, go-getters. I don't want you to think of that at all. Meekness is a virtue that every follower of Christ, no matter what your personality is like, every follower of Christ is called to put this on. It's a quality that the Holy Spirit produces in all those whom He fills. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. So if you have the Spirit of God living in you, your life should produce gentleness, no matter what your personality type, no matter if you're naturally sort of reserved or naturally more assertive, the Spirit should produce in you what the Bible calls gentleness. So here's how I want to define meekness for us today to try to just give us a summary way of wrapping our minds around this. Meekness means knowing our limitations and using our strengths for the glory of God and the good of others. Meekness means knowing our limitations and using our strengths for the glory of God and the good of others. So to be meek is not to be passive, it's not to be nonchalant about the injustices of the world. It does not mean that you're a doormat or that you have a naturally easygoing temperament. Meekness is strength under control. It's strength that is wielded for a good purpose. The analogy that I often think of when I think about meekness is a, domestic, a domesticated ox. A domesticated ox is not weak. It is very strong. It's simply that its, it, its strength has been submitted to the yoke of the farmer. And for that reason, the, the strength of the ox has become useful for someone other than the ox. A wild ox is just going around living for himself. He's really strong, but he's kind of useless to anybody but himself. A domesticated ox, however, is useful for the purposes of his master. That's what it means to be meek. 
It means that we have submitted all of our strengths to the good purposes of God. David Mathis puts it this way, to be gentle is to steward one's strength so that it serves good life-giving ends rather than bad life-taking ends. I, I, I love that word steward because we often think about being stewards of money, stewards of time, but meekness is about being a steward of whatever limitations you have and whatever strengths you have. We can see this most clearly in God Himself. And what I mean is, not that God has any limitations, but this idea of strength for good ends. We see this most clearly in God Himself. Isaiah 40 verse 10, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Then it says in the very next verse, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gently lead those that are with young. So God is strong. He's all-powerful. He, there is no, no one, no being in the universe more powerful than God. And yet, He leads His people with gentleness. He does not use His strength toward His people to harm them, but to help them. So meekness means that I use whatever is at my disposal, whether it's physical strength, whether it's ability, whether it's resources, influence, even my words, that I use whatever is at my disposal, not for my own interests, but to help and encourage and love and do justice to others for the glory of God. So, when you try to define something, you can define by addition and by subtraction. You can say, here's what meekness is. You can say, here's what meekness is not. And both of those are helpful. And what I want to do is, when I was trying to wrap my mind around, what does the Bible say about meekness? It helped me to notice, what does the Bible set meekness against? What is meekness opposed to? I want to give you some examples of that. First, meekness is opposed to ungodly anger and vengeance. It's opposed to ungodly anger and vengeance. Now, meekness is not the absence of anger. It's the moderation of anger. Meekness is opposed to the kind of violent anger that arises from pride. Listen to the contrast James draws in James 1. He says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. There's a kind of anger that does not produce the righteousness of God. And by the way, you know, sometimes people make distinctions between righteous and unrighteous anger, or what I'm calling, you know, godly and ungodly anger. I don't have any statistics to back this up. I don't have any surveys or studies to back this up. But just in my own experience, in my own heart, and in people that I've talked to, there are very few of us who ever actually reach uh, righteous, godly anger. So if you kind of walk around and you're kind of constantly this angry person, but you're like, it's righteous anger, probably not. Probably not. I'm just being honest with you. Probably not. Uh, it's really difficult. Jesus, Jesus did it just fine, but we're not Jesus. So notice in Psalm 37 the reasoning behind why we should set aside ungodly anger. God gives us a reason for why. Look at verse 7. 
Be still before the Lord. You know, anger is just this agitation. And verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Sometimes anger is just when you get all worked up. And Psalm 37 is saying, don't get worked up over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. I mean, this psalm tells us that several times. Don't get all worked up. It tends only to evil. Verse 9, here's the reason. Because... The evildoers, the people that you're getting all worked up about and angry about, they shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So the very people that you're envious of, the very people that you're, you get all worked up about, the very people, whether it's people who disagree with you politically, people who disagree with you about sports or whatever, that guy in the office who crunches his potato chips too loud, whatever it is. If that person's not in Christ, God's going to handle it. Okay? So there's no need for you to get so worked up about it. To be meek is to acknowledge that it is not my place to punish people for their wrongdoing, to exact vengeance on them because of their sin. If they refuse to trust in Christ, if they refuse to turn from their sin, they'll be cut off. While those who wait for the Lord, a.k.a. the meek, shall inherit the land. Paul articulates that same idea in Romans 12. He says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I keep hearing this phrase that people use when they talk about people that they don't agree with politically. They talk about owning people. Oh, yeah, he owned the libs. You know, or, oh, yeah, he owned the whatever, snowflakes or whatever. That's totally contrary to what the Bible tells us to do, okay? The Bible says if there's someone that you don't agree with, if there's someone who hates you and that person's hungry, why, why not instead of trying to own them, why don't you feed them? Why not if that person's thirsty, give him something to drink? The Bible commands us, do not be overcome by evil. You are commanded, if you're a follower of Christ, you're commanded not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. That's a good summary of meekness. Leave all vengeance to God. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Second, meekness is opposed to quarreling. This is one of the most common ones that meekness is set against, quarreling. Now we have to keep reminding ourselves that meekness is not a personality type. Some people are naturally non-confrontational. That's not necessarily meekness. It could be that those people fear 
men. They just kind of want to, you know, I don't want to disturb anybody. That's not necessarily meekness. Genuine meekness comes from fearing God more than I fear anyone else. Other people are more confrontational by nature. It can be good. Often it can arise from pride that I, people need me to correct them and set them in their place and all that kind of stuff. Those people need to be reminded of the biblical command, Titus 3, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now, there's a difference between quarreling and correcting. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So must not be quarrelsome, but he must correct his opponents with gentleness. How can we tell the difference between being quarrelsome and correcting someone with gentleness? Well, Paul goes on to say in Titus 3 to avoid foolish controversies. And he warns in 1 Timothy 6 about those who have an unhealthy craving for controversy. So one question you could ask yourself if you want to know, okay, am I a quarrelsome person or do I meekly correct people in gentleness? One, one way you could ask it is, am I always looking for an argument? Am I constantly looking for who I can correct? Well, who do I need to set right? If that's you, then you might be quarrelsome, not meek. Do you give the benefit of the doubt? Do you believe the best about people? Do you think, you know what, that, there might be a different way I could understand that. Maybe their motives were good. Maybe there's something that I need to, to be clearer on. Or do you have what Paul calls an unhealthy craving for controversy? Another way you can tell the difference is the manner in which you do that. The, the way you can tell the difference between quarreling and biblical correction is the spirit with which you do it. Galatians 6, 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And the word that Paul uses there when he says restore him in a spirit of gentleness, it's, the, it's a word that doctors use when they talked about setting bones back in joint. So if you think of the, the church as a body, it's called the body of Christ. Paul's saying, listen, sometimes parts of the body get dislocated. And so one of the things you can ask yourself is, when I see somebody who's out of joint, do I want to go and amputate the arm and just cut them off or do I want to pop it back in joint? Our goal should always be to restore someone if we can. I don't want to cut them off. I want to restore them. I want them to be put back in place. And I do that knowing I am just as susceptible to failing. I'm just as susceptible to being tempted in that way as they are. I'm not better than them. Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So meekness is opposed to quarreling. Third, meekness is opposed to gossip and slander. It's opposed to gossip and slander. Slander is when we say something false about someone. Gossip may or may not be true, but we don't really know. We're just kind of saying it. The point is, a meek person is careful with their words. 
They're careful with how they use their words. Meekness is using what is at my disposal to help and encourage and love and do justice, not to tear someone apart. Gossip and slander are frequently condemned in Scripture because they are absolutely useless. They don't do any good for anybody. They're poison and toxic to the person who's doing the gossip and slandering, and they're absolutely no help to the person that's being gossiped about or slandered. When you gossip or slander, you're not going to someone and giving them an opportunity to defend themselves or to correct a misunderstanding. You're not giving them an opportunity to apologize for an offense or to clarify an intention so I didn't mean it that way. You're certainly not seeking to correct them. Say, hey, you know, here's something you did. I, I just want to come to you in gentleness. No, you're, you're not even giving them an opportunity to repent. When you gossip or slander, you're just tearing someone down, plain and simple. You're using words as weapons to harm, not as tools to help. And that is fundamentally opposed to meekness, which is using what is at our disposal to help and encourage and love and do justice. Paul reminds us in Titus 3 to speak evil of no one, but to be gentle. Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And boy, howdy, listen to this warning from Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. He says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Vance Havner used to say, What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Harmful words... Reveal a heart that lacks meekness, a heart that is not in right fellowship with God. Number four, meekness is opposed to harshness. Meekness is opposed to harshness. Now, Matt, what's the difference between gossip, slander, and harshness? I'm using gossip and slander as a way of talking about words that are harmful to someone when we're talking about them. And I'm using harshness as a way of talking about words that are harmful when we're talking to someone. So gossip and slander are things we do behind someone's back. Harshness is something we do to someone's face. A meek person cares about both, not just what they say about someone, but what they say to them. Philippians 4 verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And the word reasonableness is the same word translated elsewhere as gentleness or meekness. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. James 3.17 reminds us, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and open to reason. So to be meek is to be understanding and open to reason, not jumping to conclusions, not spouting off everything that comes to mind, but, in the words of Ephesians 4, speaking only such as is fitting to the occasion. Proverbs 15.1, a soft or a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And it's important that we see not only the harm of harshness, but also the benefit of gentleness. Proverbs 15.4 says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. 
you have in your mouth right now an instrument that you can use for good or for bad, to tear down or to build up. And meekness has been so undervalued that it's, it's created this vacuum where it is one of the most needful virtues in our present environment. And one of the most countercultural things you could do is to walk around with a meek or a gentle tongue. We live in what some people call an outrage culture, where everybody is outraged at each other and everybody is the enemy. And in this climate, there is a great opportunity for followers of Christ to show a better way. Scott Swain is a, a seminary president. He's said this. He said, One of the biggest roadblocks in our gospel witness today is the lack of gentleness that many Christians display in their public interactions with others, both inside and outside the church. One of the biggest roadblocks in our gospel witness today it's the way we talk to people and the way we talk about people. Not just what we say, but how we say it. Both in person and online. This applies to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those places. What we say and how we say it matters because it impacts who is willing to listen to our witness. And one of the most important things we can do for the sake of our gospel witness today is to demonstrate gentleness with others both inside and outside the church. So for Christ's sake, in your home, in the church, in the world, on Facebook, on Twitter, in school, wherever you are, we need meekness. Fifth, last thing I'll say about meekness being opposed to things Meekness is opposed to jealousy and selfish ambition. Meekness is opposed to jealousy and selfish ambition. Psalm 37 reminds us over and over, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Why? Verse 2, For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Meekness means knowing that everything in this world is passing away. So I don't have to get worked up about who won the last election, who won the last game, or whatever it might be, who got that promotion, who got that whatever, because I know that I have a lasting inheritance. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's being kept in heaven for me by God. Nobody can touch it. Nobody can steal it. Nobody can diminish it. Nobody can take it away. It is being kept for me by the power of God. Jealousy and selfish ambition are of this world. Meekness is of the world to come. Here's how James puts it in James 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So, James says from the Holy Spirit that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are earthly, spiritual, and demonic, whereas meekness 
is heavenly. So question, if I want more meekness, how do I get it? How do I, how do I become more meek if I want to? And I, I hope that uh, if nothing else today, you'll walk away thinking, I need to be more meek. So if I want more meekness, how do I get it? Here's the irony. The irony is that we don't become more virtuous by trying to be more virtuous. Notice what Psalm 37 urges us repeatedly to do. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. You do not become meek by hearing how you need to be more meek or by wanting really badly to be meek. Nor do you become meek by living only to please others. Because again, that's the fear of men, not the fear of God. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and it is the beginning of meekness. So if I could give you one piece of counsel about how do I become more meek, it is fear God. Because if I fear God, if I esteem Him rightly, and if I esteem myself and others in light of His glory and grace, then I will be humble, and that humility will work itself out in meekness toward others. It's only when I have done that that I can esteem myself and others rightly. It's only when I have a clear picture of God's glory and His greatness. If I fear Him, I will be humble, and that humility will work itself out in meekness toward others. So, okay, Matt, what do I do practically? How do I fear God more? Well, the fullest view we have of God's glory is at the cross. We sang earlier in the song, Holy, 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 Though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see. There is this glorious nature that God has that we cannot look on purely and live. And yet, God in His grace saw fit to send His Son Jesus to take on flesh and to become our sin so that we could see a glimpse of His glory and His grace. And I just want to commend an exercise to you. Um, whether it's when you're trying to be more meek, uh, or whether it's when you're feeling guilty because you're not meek enough, or whatever the case may be. I just want you to imagine Jesus on the cross, arms outstretched, nailed to the wood, and to hear the, the promise and the invitation that He gives. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation in just a moment. This is our opportunity to respond to God's Word. And uh, sometimes it's just good to kind of acknowledge these things that uh, I've been looking into your eyes as I've preached. And this has been a very uncomfortable sermon today. It was an uncomfortable sermon for me to 
prepare for. Because I think we instinctively know that there is a great need here. And because beyond what I could have prepared for or tried to fabricate or manufacture in any way, the Holy Spirit is convicting us right now. And I, I see it in some of you. And, uh, and here's the danger. I see this all too often when I, somebody will get convicted. What they'll want to do is they want to just kind of run away. They want to get out of here as fast as they can. I don't mean physically, although sometimes it's, you know, they you know, got to get in the car, got to get to lunch, Brother Matt. But just kind of, you know, you just kind of want to, as, as quickly as this service is over, you just want to go and just kind of forget about this, you know. Get to lunch and go take a nap or whatever and wake up and you'll forget about the conviction you had right now. Meditate on this. Um, don't let Satan distract you from this as soon as you leave. But let the Holy Spirit keep working in your heart in this area. Some of you here are, are parents and you have children. I'm a parent. We have children in our homes who need to hear uh, the gospel and they need to hear it from people who are not harsh who are not impatient, but who are gentle and meek and patient. Some of you have co-workers who need to hear the gospel, and they need to hear it from someone who is not harsh, who's not like everybody else, but who has just this strange meekness about them that they can't explain or put their finger on. We all have people like that in our lives, so for Christ's sake, let's be meek. And if you're here today and you say, I don't, I don't know if I have a relationship with the Lord, what you need is, is not to try harder, but you need to come to Jesus and find rest for your soul. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for how you move through your word by your spirit to convict us of our sin. And Lord, there is no one here today who should walk away um, without conviction. And so, Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would continue to work in our hearts. Spirit of God, I pray that you would continue this afternoon and over the next few days to, to bring these truths to our mind and that we would continue to meditate on them. Lord, that we would do the work uh, of, of looking into our own hearts, looking into the attitudes we have towards others and the way that we act and speak towards others. And God, that we would look for those areas of, of harshness and of gossip and slander and quarreling and, and anger uh, and, and jealousy and am selfish ambition. Lord, that we would see those pockets of of sin in our lives. And God, that you would help us to uproot them, to carve them out, and to cultivate gentleness, not for our own sake, not because we want to be seen as meek, but because we want you to be glorified, because we want our good works to be shining so that others would see them and glorify you. God, if there is anyone here this morning who is not right with you, who's never put their trust in you, never surrendered to you, I pray that you would so convict them.
God, that they would be restless until they come to Jesus and find rest in Him. God, help us, Holy Spirit, move. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.